Ro- I, I showed it to Ro once and she was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. I've changed my mind now. We've got the intro to the show. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joe. I'm Dave. And just like Thelma and Louise, we're hurtling to the conclusion of our Ridley Scott season as we put Thelma and Louise on trial. Is it a Thunderbird or is it the Hood? (laughs) (laughs) There we go. I thought like at least Dave would laugh. I don't don't understand the joke. It's it's a very niche reference to the 1960s British children's TV program Thunderbirds, right there, Joel. That's what it is. I understood that, but like, what is the hood? (laughs) The the bad uh, guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. Basically, Joel, if you look at me, (laughs) the hood. (laughs) There you go. It's the hood. Anyway, we digress. Essentially, will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? But before we get started on the trial, let's have our final temporary segment, which I'm calling Ridley Me This. I promise this week I will put some instrumental music in there as well. So here we go, guys. Fingers on the buzzers. First one to answer gets, uh, well, gets a prize, which is also the answer. (laughs) Um, Okay, so here's the question. I, myself, was in an advert to celebrate the 122nd year of a British product. The advert was an adaptation of the company's first ever advert from 1973, which was called Boy on a Bike, directed by Sir Ridley Scott. But what was the company in question? Uh, Alex. Warburton's bread. (laughs) No, it wasn't. Hovis. It was Hovis, well done. Shit. <laughs> Can you Dave, just explain your role in that advert, please, Gav, that we I all was, came around to watch? <laughs> I was in a car, and we drove past this lad, and we all shouted, champions, or something like that, because uh, it, it, it basically, it, it, the lad was kind of delivering bread, but it took him 122 years to do so, and we were around the 1966 World Cup. So we were driving past to say, champions. That bread's going to be proper stale for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we just caught like maybe y- your hand out of the car briefly. Yeah, yeah. No, no, if we you paused, paused it, it, you could see my big <laughs> head. <Yeah. laughs> wasn't there also like a story that you told people that you were the hand on, some, on one advert? What was that? World. Intel inside. <laughs> it, was <laughs> yeah, no, that was just a, that was just a, a joke. P- people, uh, I went somewhere and people were talking about all of their acting accomplishments. So I said I was the hand that shook <laughs> the computer computer-generated hands in the PC world. Can you like, also oh say God. you were the gorilla from the Harper adverts as well? I did. I've, I've, Dave, I've told many, many lies, but yeah, yeah. We know. We know. this Hovis advert wasn't one of them. And uh, Dave, as a result of this, you have won yourself a, a loaf of Hovis. Uh, can, oh, I, mean, I, I do love carbs. You, you can pick what type as well. You, you know, If you want it white, brown, if you want it 50-50, let me know. Uh, 50-50 all the way. Anyway, before we go on, our last film on trial was Gladiator, which Joel judged and deemed should be placed on the hit list. 
Joel, you've since gone away on rewatch Gladiator. Did you make the right call or not? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, thanks, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was a pretty easy one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, like I, I agreed with um, with yourself and Austin when you said like towards the end, like it drags a bit. Uh, gets maybe like a little bit over political in in places, and I think um, like some of the CGI is a bit dated now. But overall, it's yeah, it's brilliant. So well deserved yeah. and well judged by myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Joel. Well done. Uh, okay, so now on to the trial itself. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list is Dave, who is just like Brad Pitt's character, JD. Whenever you hear his name, you automatically think of Bourbon. (laughs) And (laughs) joining Dave is Joel, who is just like Christopher McDonald's character, Daryl. He is a massive arsehole, but by God, he does look really good with a (laughs) moustache. I'll take it. And acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on their shit list is me. And I'm just like Susan Sarandon's character, Louise. All I want to do is arrange a nice holiday, but my friends keep fucking it up. (laughs) (laughs) And joining me is Ozzy, who is just like Michael Madsen's character, Jimmy. Even though he's actually a really nice guy, you are still instantly distrustful of him. (laughs) And and also, he really rocks the diamond-encrusted cowboy shirt look, I might add as well. Now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really think. And in the role of the judge, who has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, is Alex. And Alex is just like Gina Davis's character, Thelma. Whenever he really wants something, He's been known to pant like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did say initially that you looked really good in a bathing suit. Um, what, you changed your mind about that recently? <laughs> 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 no comment. Uh, now, uh, before we get started, I think let's um, give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. Okay, and that has landed, as you can see there, guys, on Dave. So, how would we like Dave to read the synopsis? It's not a biggest choice, is there? Uh, I think Harvey there's a Keitel. variety of, like, like American South yeah, accents on there, like Arkansas and Texas. and. I cannot differentiate between any of these states. Well, I don't like think Michael. any of the actors could either, Dave. So oh, you're boo. A good company. Boo. Save it for the trial. What about uh, Michael Madsen? Michael Madsen? How does Michael Madsen talk? Just Michael deep south, isn't Madsen is sort of talks a bit like that. <laughs> 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 Um, I, I could try. I, I see there's a southern drawl on Michael Madsen, I guess. I um, think, uh, I think comb- combine the two. Yes, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Try and combine it like a southern Michael Madsen. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Two best friends set out on an adventure, but it soon turns around to be a terrifying escape from being hunted by the police as these two girls escape for the crimes they committed. 
it's actually good as well. <laughs> it's not Michael Madsen, but it's a, it'll do. <laughs> it's a southern Michael Madsen. <laughs> right, well, guys, I'm going to jump in there. I'd like to start with the defence on this. Thelma and Louise, it's been, I mean, when was this made? Would you know what year this was? 91. 91, and, you know, it's still pretty iconic. So why are we still talking about Thelma and Louise all this time later? Joel, can I start with you, please? You're talking about it because it's iconic, as you said. There's so many, you know, famous scenes in there, especially the ending, which we will come to. But it's basically just about two women, and they kind of have not the best lives, I would say. Um, it kind of all kicks off a little bit when I think it's Felma. She's dancing with a guy at a bar and he takes her to the park and like, he tries to rape her. Louise kind of jumps in to stop to stop him. Um, and then as they're walking away from him, he like shoots some remark and she turns around and shoots him. And it basically kind of sets off a chain of events where they are more or less driving across America. Uh, they get their life savings stolen and it all kind of spirals out of control. They get involved in a lot of crime, a lot of uh, like robbery and things like that. And then obviously it ends with them being chased by the by the police. And we have that really famous scene over the edge of the Grand Canyon uh, where they kind of just j- jump into it, essentially. And, you know, ever since that scene, it's been it's been written into legend, I would say. So they are, they are in the car, aren't they? They're not just going. <laughs> they're not just jump. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they're a lot less dramatic. From what they're in the car. Um, yeah, but yeah, as I say, like it's been parodied by by so many things now. But it's just it's just a really powerful film. I think you know, even if it's not your thing, there's so much to kind of get into here. It's one of those films where you, you press play and immediately, you know, you kind of lose lose yourself in it. There's a lot of great acting in there. There's a lot of kind of really those moments where you kind of feel for the main characters where, you know, you you think to yourself, what would I do in that situation? And you kind of see their lives spiraling out of control, but you're not really able to obviously influence their decisions as, as, you know, a a watcher. So to kind of go back to my original point and, and what you said, it is very iconic. And I think part of that is because it's, you know, it's two women, and even in '91, it was not really heard of that we'd have these strong women characters, and they are basically, you know, leading the whole film. Especially when it's about, you know, a life of crime as well. It's it's something so unique that had never really been done before. That you know, two women are these two main characters. They're the criminals, if you like. And as I say, the ending as well so unique that these two main characters would just you know jump off into the Grand Canyon on foot. So yeah. If you're just looking for a very unique film, I would say that this is definitely, you know, going to be top of your list. It sounds like the full package there. You know, it's it's an iconic film. This is why we're still remembering it. You know, it's got, it's a, an interesting film, especially at the time in 91 to have two, two women, you know, defending themselves as chain of events where the crime's spiralling. And, you know, solid acting. And, you know, you are like, you are really invested in these characters. So, I mean, prosecution... What's not to like about this? Coming to Gav? Yeah, you could call it a package in a way. Uh, I'm package not... you shit, Gav. Are you gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say that it's the worst film of all time, but it's not a hit list worthy film right here. It's, it's average. It's just all right. There are more negatives than there are positives for me. The story is a bit too basic. 
Joel mentioned there's two outlaws, they go on the run. It's something that has been done before and better, like in Bonnie and Clyde and Natural Born Killers. And it's also been done a lot better since, like in films like Queen and Slim. It's a bit too familiar and it doesn't really do enough to set it apart from these other films. Apart from the hook, which Joel mentioned, is that the lead two characters are women. That's really the only thing that sets it, up, sets it apart. And I think there just needs to be more than that for it to be its own, as Joel said, unique film. The story is also just too predictable. Two friends go on the road. They experience trouble. They experience complications. They're chased by the law. They are caught. Slash their journey comes to an end. There's nothing that you wouldn't expect to happen here. There's also an incredible amount of foreshadowing, which makes you feel like Brad Pitt getting beaten around the head with his own hat. Thelma brings Chekhov's gun along with her because of, quote, potential psycho killers. And Louise is uh, instructed to take care of business because Thelma doesn't know how to use the gun. In the very next scene, they visit a bar called Silver Bullet. Thelma says, you know, me and you, we're going to get out of this town and really let our hair down. They're then approached by a guy who wants to dance with Thelma and won't take no for an answer. We can see what's going to happen here. And that happens throughout the movie, foreshadowing just lazy sort of, I wouldn't say necessarily lazy, it's just like predictable plot points. It feels quite slow and repetitive at times. You know, the movie is supposed to be an adventure film, but it feels a little sloppy and clunky and not very adventurous in parts. Something happens... Like Louise shoots this arsehole and then nothing of much interest will happen for a while after that. There's a lot of driving and talking and from a cinematography aspect, and I think Ozzy will agree with this, it's really beautiful at first with lots of these great landscape shots and the blue Thunderbird contrasting against the red backdrop of the American South, but it becomes very repetitive and overdone before too long. Just a lot of driving and a lot of talking and not much else happening. The direction is a little underwhelming as well, apart from that chase at the end and the final shot. I can't really remember anything that really stood out from a direction point of view, even really a plot point of view. Even key scenes like the murder and the bank robbery feel clunky and poorly edited. We don't even really see the guy get shot properly. We see a close-up of the gun, we hear a bang, and then we cut back and he's like holding his stomach. And the problem for me with this film is what Joel touched upon before. There's this iconic ending which has transcended the film and become its own thing in pop culture. And people remember that ending, rightly so. And that iconic shot of them hurtling off the Grand Canyon. And then they misremember that the whole film is as iconic or is as memorable when it's just not the case. It's quite dull and drawn out in parts. It's quite repetitive and predictable in others. The story is uninspiring. The characters have no clear aims or arcs and the direction is a bit sloppy. And when it comes to this film, Thunderbirds definitely aren't go. Oh, damn. <laughs> Very nice, very nice, Gareth. Uh, uh, quite a lot of extra points there for that last little comment as well. Dave, uh, Gareth's doing a good job here of saying that, you know, one iconic moment does not a great film make. You know, this maybe is what it's remembered for, but when you're actually going back and delving back into it, it's predictable, it's all been done before. So what does set this apart just as an actual film? What what does make it different to watching Bonnie and Clyde or Natural Born Killers? Well, for one thing, I think that it's a, it's wrong to make a comparison between Bonnie and Clyde and Natural Born Killers. They're perfectly they're different films. Those were deliberate, premeditated crime sprees. 
in Bonnie and Clyde and Natural Born Killers. You can't compare it to this, which is two women just trying to get away for a bit and uh, have the situation thrust upon them, you know, almost literally. I'm, I'm sorry to say. It's a completely different kind of plot. With sex jokes. <laughs> From Dave, of all people, as well. <laughs> it was as I said it. It just kind of dawned on me. It's the like, situation yeah, thrust. That's the last person I would expect that sort of humour from. <laughs> it wasn't even intentional humour. It's already it already happened before I realised. Um, yeah, it's you can't make that sort of comparison. It's a completely different kind of film. And this sort of film, although it is a buddy road trip, yeah, we've seen those before. This rescripts the typical gender roles you would see in that film. It's a film more about female empowerment and female friendship. And this is something we've never seen before. Like Joel said, you know, it's a unique film. It's quite unfortunate that it is unique because yeah, not much has changed since. I think when this film came out, it was kind of heralded as the a new awakening for cinema. You know, we're going to see much more, uh, many more films with strong female roles in. And it just, as, as Susan Sarandon said last year in an event marking the 30-year anniversary of the film, not a great deal changed. And it was met with a lot of, well, I'm going to say controversy. It was met with a lot of bias by a lot of film critics who basically said that this film just uh, tore into to men. It was it hated men. And it was um, kind of like reverse misogyny, reverse uh, chauvinism, if you will. And it was absolute bollocks. You know, they were, they were talking out of their ass. That wasn't the case mm-hmm. at all. There are good men in this. You know, Harvey Keitel's character, the detective who's trying to help them, is a good guy. Uh, as Gav said in his introduction, you know, Michael Madsen's character, Jimmy, who's, who's dating Susan Sarandon's character, is a good guy. This film doesn't hate men, but a lot of critics thought it did and gave this film a very hard time and stopped what would have been a real moment of progression for this film. As, as one critic put it in a positive review, this film presents uncompromising validation of women's experiences. That's the exact words they used. And in that way, this film is unique. The whole journey of the film is unique. And you can't really compare it to anything else. You can say, oh yeah, this, this is like another film where they're in a car traveling through the Midwest. But that's pretty much where the comparisons end. This really is a very special film uh, with a very unexpected ending. I know it's iconic now, because it kind of like it, it's crept into the zeitgeist as it were but believe me that wasn't predictable at least you know there's some guy in the uh, pr department didn't just sneak that ending in at the end yeah that was that was not what the audience were expecting in any way yeah. shape or form and it really woke people up um you know the, and i don't think the editing was bad we don't really see the the store robbery it's just we see uh, gina davis leaving the store you know running about like drive 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 and then we see on cctv how the robbery went down as, as Harvey Keitel plays it to her husband. So I don't think the editing was bad at all. I mean, the editor got an Oscar nomination. I know awards don't count for much here, but just for anyone who might be interested who's listening, you know, the cinematographer got an Oscar nomination. Ridley Scott got an Oscar nomination. I think his direction was superb. The editing, Oscar nomination, Gina Davis, Susan Sarandon, Oscar nominations, and Callie Curry, this is her first uh, screen, uh, screenplay, for best original screenplay, she actually won with a, a very dynamic script with yeah some at times preposterous decisions you know a bit rough around the edges in terms of plot but a very sharp script filled with very sharp dialogue and overall yeah this is a an incredibly well-made film and one of the most iconic films of the 90s for very good reason damn dave damn that was some that was some good arguing there dave i have to say 
Um, completely blew Gav out of the water there, and you didn't even have a flourish. So, uh... <laughs> I, I sorry, Gav. No, I, sorry, had, sorry. I had an George. unintentional <laughs> joke. <laughs> uh, Gav, uh, just on that point that Dave was talking about, you know, he sort of answered what you said there. He said, "You said what sets it apart," and Dave very, you know, eloquently said, "Well, it's the it's the fact that it's you know two female characters. And they're not just two female characters for the sake of it, but there's a real reason behind it throughout the plot." And, you know, it's something that's been done 30 years ago and hasn't really been done since. Yeah, and that is unfortunate. And I would sort of slightly disagree and say that, you know, it's not a case of this film, uh, like, advancing female empowerment or being, like, a feminist movie, to be honest. I think that it was perceived as such when it initially came out because it was a big-budget Hollywood release with two actresses in main in the main two parts in a type of buddy cop and or road movie in which those parts had previously perhaps been played by men. And I'm not dissing the film because of this, because I think for a, for a film in 1991 to have such great female representation is brilliant. And it's actually quite tragic that it was A, so rare back then, and B, is still unfortunately not massively common these days as well. But what I'm saying is that maybe the concept of having two actresses lead the film was a progressive step in gender equality on the screen. But to herald it as some sort of female empowerment and feminist film uh, is just not true. In, in her review for the Los Angeles Times, film critic Sheila Benson objects to the characterization of the film as feminist, arguing that it is more preoccupied with revenge and violence than feminist values. And I agree. Because I think the characters of Thelma and Louise are defined by their relationships with men. Thelma's through a shitty marriage and Louise through, firstly, her uncertainty to commit to Jimmy, plus the man that, uh, that she murders in Act One. And I still think it has a lot of female character tropes as well. You know, Thelma being this innocent and ditzy wallflower who's assaulted and then, you know, leading the characters to fight back. But the film doesn't give these characters an out. It doesn't really develop them and say, you know, you can do this. It basically shown that the only options they have are to go to prison or to kill yourselves. And when they choose the latter, we're supposed to celebrate this as some sort of success. And there's even inspirational music playing over the final scene. And if you close your eyes, it's quite funny to listen to the music that Ridley Scott chose to accompany the characters plummeting to their deaths. I, I, you know, I'll say that, yeah, as, as a film in 1991, a big Hollywood movie having two great actresses in the lead roles is good. But it doesn't mean that this film isn't tropey. It doesn't mean that this film isn't just like all the films that have gone before. It's just, a, it just for me, it feels like a hook that is on an existing genre or an already a film that we've seen a million times before. It doesn't really separate it from others by just having two female stars in the lead roles. Okay, great. Right, thank you. Uh, I'm going to move on to Ozzy now and talk about performances and cast. So Ozzy, Rather than characters, can I just go on about a little bit of motivation on some of this? Yeah, yeah. One of the big plot twists and the thing to really bring them back down to why they, why it ends in such a climactic scene is that they get robbed. They get robbed by a man who tells them that he is a robber and then they leave him in the room with the money. Wow. Like, it's just kind of like plot points for just to, to progress it. It's a very, very frustrating piece. There's a lot of that goes on without throughout and and I'm usually quite lenient on that sort of thing because mm -hmm. you know my 
any story I try to tell is filled, you know, is riddled with with potholes. But in this instance, <laughs> you know, you're not Ridley Scott. You know, you're not you're not making a Hollywood film, though. You well, exactly. Yeah. More I like riddled to... Scott. <laughs> <laughs> riddled, riddled Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, I I think they, for the most part, those two, they have some real real uh, charisma, and it seems as though they get along in real life. One would, you know, I think there's a real chemistry between the two of them. It's just it's very dated. Do you know when you see a film and there's a very particular acting style of an era and that's what you're stuck with in here is just it's not aged incredibly well. Rather than their acting and and what they're going for, you know, like like Dave said, they were both nominated for, for Best Actress in this. You can't deny that they've done a really good job. It's the wider film is the issue. It's not it's not them two as as people and it's not necessarily um the the, the policeman. I think he's does all right. It's just other people who are just playing themselves. And it's the same themselves that you see in every other film. So Brad Pitt in, again, you know, it's just Brad Pitt. It doesn't matter what he's in, it's him. And um the uh I can't remember his character name, but that's the issue is the supporting cast are not the uh they're they're the thing that let down and I know that they're supporting and they're meant to be lifting the main two up, but that's not what they're doing, you know. That they're only standing their own ground off their own hard work. And um it's it's the wider film in terms of performances that let it down. Okay, cool. Uh Joel, so you know, supporting cast do not you know, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis do a good job, but they're not supported by a supporting cast, which is seems a problem. Um, what would you say about you know the characters and the performances in this? Uh, well, you know, first off, I think Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, these are like roles that I think, you know, transcend them as as actors. You know, I think that they are that good together. Just the perfect chemistry. You can just tell that they're really good friends. You, you know, it doesn't feel like you're watching a film. It kind of almost feels like you're watching, you know, a real life documentary at times. And what I'd say about Brad Pitt is, he, he kind of just does his job, you know, he, he's there as like the eye candy, if you like, which is almost like another kind of unique thing about this film and that, you know, he's the eye candy and not like, you know, the two women. Sure. And I, I think as well, the scene that Ozzy mentioned where he steals the money, I'm, I'm pretty sure they only learn that he's a thief who's on parole like after they've slept together. So it's not like, you know, she invites him in and then. But then she leaves him in the room with the money. Yeah, no, he, he he tell he tells her that like, hey, I'm I'm a bandit and I've robbed loads of people. In fact, I've robbed people today. And she's like, wow, that's brilliant. Here's a big bag of money. I'm going for a swim. That's the contrast in the characters. There's a touch of naivety to to uh, Thelma in that she thinks, oh, because she slept with him, they've got this connection that he won't rob them. You know, Louise knows full well that he will. That's why when she meets her in the re- in the uh, restaurant. And it's just like, so where is he? He's like, oh, he's in the room getting a shower. It's like, where's the money? It's like on the nightstand. You know, Louise isn't that naive. Thelma's naive. It's, it's a character trait. You know, it's part of who she is and it's part of the charm of that character. It's also why she ends up getting the, into so much trouble throughout the film. But it's it's the characters and how well they work together that makes that possible. And, you know, it's not stupidity. It's not a plot hole. That's just the character. So exactly, Dave, and I think so. Like it, it does advance the plot, as he says it in kind of like a bad thing. But you know, that moment directly leads to what comes after, which then obviously leads to them, you know, kind of going to their deaths. So I, th- I think everything in this is done for a reason, whether you think it's, you know, 
a cheap tactic or or what. But like just to come back to the characters, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis are fine, but you know, the the supporting cast as well are all very good. You know, we've got Harvey Keitel and, and Michael Madsen, who you don't really see in a lot of things like these days, but like they just do the jobs perfectly. As I say, it's almost like you're watching a documentary because all of the characters are just extremely believable. So yeah, for me, I would say more or less everybody is, is pitch perfect in this. Amazing. Uh, Gav, you've just, you've just done a big face there. I'm going to limit you because we have covered Brad Pitt, Gavin. You've covered Brad Pitt on other podcasts. So <laughs> I, I feel like I know how you're going to talk about him. So I'd like you to actually, and I'd like you to count it off on your fingers. I'm going to give you seven words at most to say what you think of Brad Pitt's performance. And then you will have to move on from it. Okay. okay. Um, One. <laughs> that was two, Dave. That was okay, no, he's not wrong, Gav. He's absolutely not wrong. Yeah, one. Honestly seen stealingly bad i'll do that hyphenated another one if you want you can <laughs> shit yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I will say just to, you know i completely agree with everything Ozzy said it's almost like he watched the film this week and made notes about it because we've got almost identical notes here so <laughs> uh, yeah I, I will say that i i do think that Dalma as a character is a little undefined she's a bit all over the place she fills several sort of character tropes. And I'm not saying that you need to fit a specific narrative and stick to it. But at the beginning of the film, she's this subdued, naive, almost ditzy character who's in this abusive relationship. Then she experiences a truly horrific attempted sexual assault, which understandably traumatizes her. But then less than 24 hours later, she almost appears to be a completely different character. She's confident, aloof. She's chasing Brad Pitt's character down because she wants to bone him even going as far as to make comedy dog panting and whining noises so Louise will offer him a lift. She barely references the hardships in her marriage or her sexual assault for the rest of the film. And by the end, she's somebody who, who was originally shy and unconfident, is now willingly suggesting a suicide pact. A character just feels very messy, very all over the place. It's almost like they created a, quite a defined character with regards to Louise, and she's got a backstory that you know she hints at and then is fully developed later on, and then she has a natural arc where she decides to take control of her own narrative. But then you've got Thelma's character, which is just a bit of a shit show. It's all over the place. It's like every sort of trope, it's uh, just uh, lots of different things just piled together to, to create one Frankenstein's monster of a character. Then uh, what Ozzy said as well, unbelievable like and stupid decisions that are made throughout the film, which are only there to service the plot. And you could say, well, that's like the, in most films, but that's not true. You know, it, not in every film, characters make stupid and awful decisions. And then, you know, it's a case of, well, what do we do now? It's just, it feels like every silly decision that they could make, they do make. And I know that Dave mentioned this slightly before, but also the majority of the male characters are not very well written. And I'm not trying to be like, oh, woe is men, we have a hard time in this. Because I think it's just more of a case of the majority of the supporting characters are awfully written. And in any other film, those characters will probably be female. But every sort of bad male stereotype is on display here. You've got the abusive drunken husband, the creepy abusive predator, the incompetent police officer, the cheating, lying, attractive hustler, and every other male character that they fleetingly meet is either an obvious knobhead or a subtle knobhead. You know, it's it, it, they're just very undefined, very stereotype, very 2D characters. And it, it, it feels like if this just would have been a film all about 
Louise, it probably would have been all right. But the fact is, you've got these other characters drawing away from Louise. It just makes it a bit convoluted, a bit messy. And it means that you're packing more characters that aren't as clearly defined and you take a lot of focus off maybe the one character that, that is probably well defined. Does sound a little bit like, especially the male characters, they're a bit two dimensional, Dave. Like, uh, and if you've got two dimensional characters, it's not going to make the rest of the film very interesting. I wouldn't say they're two dimensional. I just remind you they are supporting characters. You know, we're not going to get detailed backstories and necessarily character development for all of them. They are just supporting characters that are on screen for a few minutes. Um, and I wouldn't say that necessarily stereotypes. I stand by Harvey Keitel's character on this one, who's the uh, detective who's trying to help them. You know, he's not... It's the backstory that Gav alluded to there from Susan Sarandon's character, Louise, it's suggested that, you know, even though they're in Arkansas traveling up to, to Oklahoma, uh, they then decide to flee to the Mexico border, but without going through Texas, which if you know your American states is quite a bad idea. It means you have to go all the way through Oklahoma and down through the New Mexico and then down instead of just going straight through Texas. The reason why it's alluded to that Louise doesn't want to go through Texas is because she was right there. And, you know, or there was some sort of assault. It's pretty heavily alluded to. That's why, um, which is probably why she carries the gun, which is probably why she's so wary, which is probably why Thelma seems naive by comparison, because Louise has, um, you know, experienced something horrific in the world and it's, it's shaped her worldview. The detectives that let her down back in Texas, because she talks about how, oh, people will have seen Thelma dancing with her would have been rapist on the dance floor. No one will believe that we shot him in self-defense. She's clearly saying that from experience from what happened to her in Texas. This detective, Harvey Keitel's character, is on their side. He's sympathetic. He's trying to help them. He's trying to talk them down. He's trying to get them to surrender themselves before this gets any worse. He's, he's unlistened to. He's unlistened to by his own colleagues. And, you know, uh, Thelma and Louise don't listen to him either. And it's quite sad. You know, he is a good guy. He's trying to do right by them, trying to do right by the law, trying to do his job. This is a decent guy. He's not a bad guy. And he's not a badly written character either. He's quite an intriguing character. I think there's some layers to JB. I really do. You know, as you start seeing the nuances of his character, you know, Brad Pitt is what he is, like him as a performer or not. But I think the character itself has some nuance to it, you know, especially when he does, after he's arrested, and he does, even though there is probably a selfish motivation to it, he does give Harvey Keitel the information he needs to maybe try and help them maybe steer them off this course that they're going down. And the ones that, you know, you could accuse uh, Daryl, who's Thelma's husband of being a stereotype. But all in all, I think Christopher McDonald did a good job playing him. He is just an arsehole of a husband. He really is. And, you know, he's not violent to her. He's not abusive in that sense, but he's very unpleasant. You know, he's very verbally aggressive with her, you know, stuff about, you know, don't don't shout at me and stuff like that. And he's, it's, without being too uh, on the nose with it, he's a good character. He is a good, poor husband. But, you know, Michael, Michael Madsen's only in it for a bit. The male character's aren't in it that long the focus is Thelma and Louise and they are brilliantly written characters brilliantly portrayed lovely stuff Dave right some closing arguments I do have a lot of notes here so uh, I'll start with the prosecution is there anyone who's got some last points they'd like to make before we wrap it up uh, yeah so you know all I would say is one great scene does not make a great film Otherwise, you know, Ghost Ship would be up there with The Exorcist. <laughs> this 
film is just... We'll, we'll, we'll leave that for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this, oh, Jesus Christ, I just know that I'm going to have to defend Ghost Ship at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the film is just a bit repetitive, a bit bland, a, a bit... It contains very sort of tropey elements and it has poorly defined characters. It's just not as good as it should be. I feel like this is an average film that is misremembered as a genre-defining iconic film just because of the ending. Although this film will not leave you wanting to speed off a cliff edge, it will definitely leave you asleep at the wheel. Lovely stuff. I'd never watch a film while while driving though. That would just be reckless. Anyone from the defence... that have a closing um, any closing points i'd like to make yeah so i think one thing we haven't touched on or very briefly touched on was the cinematography you know gav mentioned it but i think overall like there's just so many beautiful shots in this the the landscapes uh very very memorable and um there's a lot of kind of you know wide wide uh shots of all the vistas and that type of thing but you know i completely disagree with what gav said you know this is about two women who are almost you know, kind of fed up with the bullshit of men. And I think a lot of kind of women can imagine doing some of the things that Thelma and Louise end up doing, you know, even though it's just kind of imagination. We see it in films these days where there's like, you know, something happens to a character and then you see like what she's imagining in her head and then it snaps back to the to the moment. And I think a lot of women will kind of, you know, resonate with some of the stuff that's happening here. Uh, you know, Gav called them stereotypes, but I, th- I think they're more kind of realistic, you know, kind of portrayals of maybe what happens in, you know, some of these areas. So, yeah, overall, I think to go back to my original point, this is just a very unique film and it's just one that everybody should see at least once. Lovely stuff. Right. Is there a quiz from somebody while I deliberate? I am going to be deliberating. There is a quiz. Holy shit. It's not the greatest quiz in the world. But it is a quiz. Yeah, so we mentioned it earlier on. It's been mentioned a few times by Gav at the start. Up there with one of the most famous cars in film is the Thelma and Louise Ford Thunderbird. And the Thunderbirds were a famous TV puppet drama. We talked about them earlier in the thing. Definitely famous in the UK, probably worldwide for our international listeners. Interestingly, Brad Pitt learned his acting chops by watching the Thunderbirds. And, uh, and this was uh, actually actually evident in his scenes in Thelma and Louise. However, which 1964 film was Sean Connery chased by a white Ford Thunderbird? Oh, is it one of the Bond films? It is one of the Bond films. Goldfinger. It is Goldfinger. Yes, well done. Um, I'd honestly have left podcast for that. Would, would an actor Brad Pitt was actually the third choice to play the heartthrob and thieving bastard JD in Thelma and Louise? The first choice um, turned it down to fuck Brad Pitt over for a different role that he wanted in a, in which Firing Inferno film? Uh, Kate Russell? Oh no, uh, Daniel Baldwin. Billy, Billy Baldwin. It was oh, Billy fuck. Baldwin. And can anyone there tell me what film Baldwin. it was? It was Bad Draft. <laughs> A great um, film. We got. We should put that on. It's I, I do love that draft. Brilliant film. That could. That could be in the next. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolute brilliant one. Which other actor, coffee loving actor, also wanted the role of JD, and he tried out five times for it. Oh, oh Dave. Uh, it was Clooney, wasn't it? Was George Clooney? 
I was going to say Emma Emmett Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Ridley Scott, who is uh, famous for such utter garbage as a good year, uh, the Russell portrayal of uh, Russell Crowe portrayal of Robin Hood, and podcast favourite Prometheus, also loves coffee, and he directed an advert for which coffee company? Um, Maxwell House. Was Maxwell House? Well done. Obviously, you weren't paying attention three episodes ago when one of my quiz questions was about that. <laughs> <laughs> Neither was I. I'll see it's fine. It felt exactly when I was writing it. Um, anyway, hopefully, somebody got that answer right. Uh, again, Sir Ridley Scott, famous for such utter garbage as Exodus, Gods and Kings, <laughs> The Last Duel with uh, Adam Driver, and podcast That's... favorite Prometheus. I know he's popping it. <laughs> Alex is trying to say that uh, the last duel is good, but yeah, um, it's amazing. Yeah, but he, 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 oh, I mean, Ozzy also did question. say Prometheus and Alien Covenant, so <laughs> <laughs> Alex rightly <laughs> quietened up then. <laughs> How many Oscars has he actually won? Dave mentioned that he'd been, uh, he tried to reel off a whole host of awards. To I've tried, I succeeded in reeling off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bam. Uh, I don't think he's won any. or like His films have won, but I don't think he's won as a director, is he not? Mm, that's true. Quite rightly so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I always love, love a quiz, which is a, like a, a naked attempt at swaying the judge <laughs> after the arguments are finished. He's uh, scoring some big points here, is he? G- Gina Davies um, was in one of my favourite films, Beetlejuice, with the delightful Winona Ryder. Um, but who wrote Beetlejuice? Bam. Or Dave. Tim Burton? I'm going to say yes. I couldn't find anything to the contrary. So. <laughs> 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 uh, bonus point. <laughs> summon Beetlejuice. Um, call his name three times. Yeah. Ozzy, are you doing that question off the top of your head? Uh, this whole thing. And the wonderful uh, Hans Zimmer, uh, who was tricked into providing a score for this film, as Gav said, by just dialing it by uh, doing an incredibly uplifting piece while the protagonists plummet to their death. However, which of Hans Zimmer's scores is the most successful, according to Classic FM? Um, if you well? can any of the top five, you can have a point. Oh, go on, Alex. Gladiator. Correct. Boom. All the points Oof. to Alex, but I'll let you guess if you want any of the others. Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, correct. That's down at the. Uh, that's down at number two. Um, Interstellar. Ooh, that's down at number nine. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, uh, um, the other one, beginning with I. Inception. Inception number four. Well done. The Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code is up there. Yeah, that's number seven. Uh, when he played uh, keyboard in the Buggles for Video Killed the Radio <laughs> Star. <laughs> that one cropped up. I thought that was going to be a good one. And um, let's move on to probably probably my last or penultimate question. Podcast regular Harvey Keitel um, probably regrets his time working with Ridley Scott and um, and, and famously had an, a- had an accident where he, uh, he had mild amnesia. So he foolishly returned to work with him again on which... Recently featured podcast film on the podcast film. Mm. Uh, Ridley Scott film. Yeah. Harvey Keitel. Oh God, I can't remember. Is it? I mean, was he in House of Gucci? He might well have been, but I didn't. That's I don't. I, I, was he was in, I don't think he is. Um, uh, um, was he in Hannibal? He was in Hannibal. Yeah. 
No, he wasn't. Anyway, it was, I'm just going to tell you, it was Alien Covenant from 2017. And he regrets that massively. However, was he? Was he? according to um, Encyclopedia Britannica, he was. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he also appeared in some of the greatest films of all time by my possibly favorite director. And point if you get if you get who that is. Wes Anderson. Yeah, and uh, a point if you can guess which film he thinks was probably his greatest work. Uh, it's driving through the best hotel. I'm going to give you a point, but I think it was actually I Love Dogs where he was the head. <laughs> but he doesn't know. Why would Ozzy don't give him a hard time? He doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, he's doing his best here, guys. Could be anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm all out. I'm all out of questions. So <laughs> oh, man. That was, that, I love that quiz, Ozzy. Oh, well, it, <laughs> I like the way you were like, probably my last question, but I might do another one after <laughs> It could be right, but I'm going to make you the point anyway. <laughs> All right, guys, that was a great, that was really, really interesting to listen to that about uh, Thelma and Louise, a film I haven't seen in, in absolute years. You know, I, I think the, you know, the defence kicked off with saying it's iconic and it is, you know, you still, Thelma and Louise, I think most people would still know that film and, you know, they'd instantly connect it to that, you know, driving off into the Grand Canyon. But does that still make it a good film? And I wasn't, you know, for a while I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe this is just one scene. It's 1991. It is. You know, it does sound like some of the stuff might be a bit dated. You know, and I'd imagine some of the dialogue sometimes, you know, it's not the snappy things we're used to now. But it did sound as well like, you know, the, the you know, it sounded like everyone said that Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon did a very good job. It did sound like you know, there was talk about the supporting cast not being very good, but I think it came back to when Gav was talking about it's a basic story and it's very familiar and it doesn't set it apart. But in a way, maybe it doesn't need to. It's not, you know, I don't think, I think it's still trying to be an entertaining film about people robbing things, but it is two women that are in it and that's what changes it. So I don't think it needs to be out and out like a massive, you know, Gav was saying that, you know, people were saying it, it's just, it's not feminist, it's about revenge and violence, but. I don't think it has to be a solely feminist film. You know, I think it can be about revenge and violence, but obviously it comes up. Everyone was discussing some really interesting things about women's being treated by, you know, in their relationships, by, by in different ways, by thieves, by, but by everyone. And it was really interesting to listen to. And I think the thing that clinched it for me was said quite early on, which is this is still unique. It was made in 1991 and somehow this is still unique. And even after... The last few years where it feels like we've tried to make some really big, what well, we, <laughs> feels like Hollywood and, you know, films have tried to make some big strides. You're still not seeing films like La Femme and Louise. And, you know, I, I think you should see more films where, you know, maybe the, maybe the, the, maybe the supporting cast isn't very well rounded out and they are a little stereotype, but that's what supporting cast are meant to be. And, you know, if, it, you know, women are normally in those roles, but it's maybe it's good that men are in two dimensional roles in a way. So, I, I thought listening to it, it made me think that Thelma and Louise definitely is not just an iconic scene where they're going off into the Grand Canyon. There's a hell of a lot more to this film with some extremely good performances. So it's solidly on the hit list. Even a well done to the prosecution, but for me, solidly on the hit list. Thank you very much. Good summary there, Alex. Okay, genuine opinions. Uh, let's start with uh, most interested. Joe, I think. Uh, uh, it's definitely on the right list. I agreed with some of what you and Ozzy said. There are some like boring bits in between. 
but yeah, m- mostly I agree that it's just a unique film. Like I can't remember the last time I saw it, and I just remember thinking, well, sorry, I, I just remember thinking when I watched it this time that you know I haven't really seen anything like this at all, even since then. So yeah, like I think it's on the right list. Thank you very much, Joel. Dave. Yeah, this was my first time watching it. I'd never seen it before, would you believe? I quite liked it. I thought it was pretty good. It's dated a bit, and I know what you mean. You're right when you talk about, um, I'm not going to call them plot holes, but it is a bit rough around the edges. You know, it is, you have to suspend your disbelief that, that people could be that trusting at times. You know, there are a couple of moments where it's just you have to just go with the flow. But for the most part, it's a good ride. It's a, it's a very good film. Um, I would like to call it trailblazing, but for the fact that the trail never really carried on after Thelma and Louise. And mm. I blame Hollywood studios for that. You know, it's, it was quite sad when you read about some of the, um, some of the vitriol that uh, the film got from, mm-hmm. from some critics um, to, and they call it bias. These critics, I think it's pretty clear where the bias lay. Yeah. I, it should have been more iconic. But no, sorry, it is iconic, but it should have made more of an impact in the landscape. I think than it did. It's not without its flaws, but I think with the, uh, with the market left, we can forgive it those few mistakes definitely on the right list thank you very much dave i i thought initially you were trying to make subtle jokes there but i think it was just the, your turn of phrases when you said uh, you know it's, it was, i've it, got it, a problem i can't <laughs> help myself it's just, it's just yeah, comes into my head and it's like should i say I, don't, I don't think i'll ever top the poking joke now <laughs> but, but when, you, when you said you know it was a trailblazer but the trail ended you know i thought you meant because when you said it, it, you know it, it didn't uh, make an impact on the landscape you know the police chief who keeps doing the, the, uh, the scrubs references yeah. but it doesn't make life <laughs> for me it's like it's like charles boyle on brooklyn 99 i just set myself up for these things <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um I'll, I'll see i'll see genuine opinion from you i actually really enjoyed it um i i think that's probably why i was um didn't have that much to say in actual fact is that i thought it was a really good film um the plot holes yeah definitely yeah, i was completely honest about that it does get a little bit boring at times um and and it's definitely dated but i think it, it it's still very poignant today all of the reasons you know in actual fact you know when um at face value and a lot of the arguments against it are that as if they wouldn't go to the police they deal with it within mm-hmm. the film straight away and it's it's rings true even today do you know what i mean it's like shit this is it's it's very uh it's very apt at the moment you know um and it just yeah. I think I just thought it really was powerful in spite of the, you know, it, it's quite, it, it's quite serious, but lighthearted at the same time. I think it, it's, a, it's a very fine balance and I think, I think it's handled very well in actual fact. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think that's a really good point to be honest. To be honest, Ozzy, it is a case of, it could have been really, really sort of hard material to work with, but the fact that like Ridley Scott and uh, I forgot the screenwriter's name, uh, Kaylee, Callie Curry, Callie Curry, do a really good job of bringing some lightheartedness to it as well, and bringing some like kind of comic shenanigans as well, mm-hmm. unexpectedly. Uh, so my my opinion was, yeah, I, I do agree that there were there were a couple of moments of lull. Uh, you know, I definitely overemphasized a lot of stuff there, and I exaggerated a few bits. Um, I, I when I was saying about male characters not being that great, you know, I completely agree with what Dave said, and, and that there are and. I think that you know it's about time that some side 
characters who are men are just shit, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> more often than not, it is female characters in the side who were just there for like, you know, very one dimensional. Um, yeah, and, and I do think as well that yeah, I, I was over egging the pudding a little bit with regards to the feminist issue with the film. I do think that it is more than just having two female characters leading the, leading, leading the film. I do think that it, I, I agree with Dave. I feel like it was, it was, it was trailblazing exactly as Dave said, but that it received so much backlash unfairly, definitely, that I think that maybe that, I mean, maybe I'm clutching the straws here, but or, or maybe I'm jumping to the conclusions, but maybe that's why there was a bit of a gap after Thelma and Louise. Maybe, you know, it shook up Hollywood a little bit to be like, oh, oh, I don't know if we want to try that again because this film received so much backlash, which is massively unfair because I think it's a really, really, really good film. I, I, I was, I, I put it on thinking, oh, when it started, it looks a little dated, but it, it still stands, you know, what, what is it now? Like 30 years later, it still later, yeah. stands up. It's a very, very good film. It's funny, you should have read the interview with Susan Sarandon to mark the 30-year anniversary, uh, which was last year, of Thelma and Louise, where she says, yeah, every five years we get a film that comes along that everyone's like, oh, this is going to do what Thelma Louise tried to do for women's. It's just like, and it just peters off. The studios mm -hmm. don't give more films a chance. Just every five years we get that landmark. And yeah. Yeah, she's right. She's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you'd, you'd hope that... Ghostbusters? <laughs> yeah. 2016. Yeah, 2016, yeah. You're talking about unfair backlash, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, Jesus Christ, that hasn't changed, has it? No, nope, no, that doesn't. will that will stay constant. Ain't no bitches. <laughs> yeah, can I hunt no ghosts? I love that they put that in the film. I fucking love that they put oh, that in the film. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that. that guy just like in rage at the cinema, just like... <laughs> especially when he gets such a big laugh and it's like, yeah, no, yeah, no, that was being serious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and if you want to hear our opinions on that film, please check it out. We have done uh, previous episodes. Well, one of my sorry, one of my favorite off topic. One of my favorite lines in uh, "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" is when it's the I think it's the Wolf Kohler episode where he goes like, "I will come down on you with all the force of a middle aged man on social media who has achieved <laughs> nothing in its life." <laughs> 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 uh, on, on that note uh, higher or lower than our previous film on trial Gladiator uh, we're Ooh, talking about one, uh, ma mainly scores written by middle aged men <laughs> nah. <laughs> on social media no, nah. I'm, I'm joking but <laughs> Gladiator scored 78% critical and 87% audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes uh, I honestly don't know like I mean lower I think lower I'm going to say only margin I'm going to say lower on each but only marginally. I'm going to say within 10%. I'm going to say higher critical, lower audience. Agreed. Well, yeah, that's completely right. 85% critical and 82% audience. So still in the 80s. Very, very good scores. And uh, yeah, well, for what, what I thought was a very good film, to be honest. So yeah, thank you very much for your arguments, guys. Really, really appreciate that. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending on, depending on which one of you had to fucking prosecute Gladiator and Thelma and Louise, i.e. <laughs> me and Ozzy. <laughs> really fucking shitty end of the stick for both of us there. But, but, but fortunately, uh, Ridley Scott season is coming to an end. That is it. Ridley Scott has been on trial. Uh, what do we say? I think quite middle of the road. So, you know, 50-50, is it? Gladiator and Thelma and Louise on the hit list. 
and House of Gucci and Alien Covenant on the shit list. And that pretty much sums up Ridley Scott's career for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I good fear one, bad Rid- one, good one, bad one. Yeah, Ridley's Ridley Scott, you know, one of the greatest British directors of all time. Feels like he's on a downward trajectory, though. <laughs> and I would like Ridley Scott to pull out of this nosedive, please. Yeah. I, I still think House of Gucci was that pulling up. Uh, I, I liked it. I liked it. But I think when your the, previous the... film is Alien Covenant, it is going to appear like a pull-up. Or already in the ground at that point. <laughs> we have decided our next season, which is going to be Disaster Season. And we're going to kick things off with Independence Day, which feels less like a disaster, more like it's somebody's fault. It's those pesky aliens. <laughs> Suppose they, they do cause a disaster, don't they? It is disastrous. Anyway, anyway uh, all the roles are going to be picked out of the hat at random for that one. Um, so, yeah, uh, please uh, check out our next season, uh, Disaster Season. If you want to check out more Films on Trial content, check us out on filmsontrial.co.uk. Check us out on any podcasting platform or most social media at Film Trials on Twitter or Films on Trial on everything else. So what have we learned today? Well, we've learned that the Thunderbirds villain was The Hood and that Harvey Keitel's favourite ever film was Isle of Dogs. Uh, but Maybe. ultimately... <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, who knows, who knows. Maybe he liked those fucking direct line adverts that he did. (laughs) Uh, But ultimately, we have learned that Thelma and Louise is a hit, and we're going to be in your ears in a few weeks' time with Independence Day. Goodbye! We should do at some point a Kurt Russell season. I'm Uh, thinking we should do Kurt Russell. And I think we should make Gav prosecute the people. Yeah, every single one. <laughs> every single one. <laughs> I, I, I swear to God, if I have to fucking prosecute and care about the film, I will leave this podcast. <laughs> Start off with the thing. <laughs> <laughs>